Activism isn't about being loud, it's about making a meaningful change. I'm a catalyst for change. Catalyst for change. I saw what was happening to our planet and the injustice of climate change. I was like, wow, I'm an activist at heart. Combining art and activism to inspire change. I had to find my place in activism as a young black woman. I realized you're never too small to take action. Youth have ideas for what a climate resilient future looks like. Protecting the environment is an wise people's thing. It's something for everyone. I wanted to learn about how inequality, poverty and gender intersect. Intersectional feminism is important to discuss. Now people are joining me and we're making change. I had to learn to trust my abilities and understand that my voice mattered. I proved to myself what I could do. Change needs to start with you and me. Youth are leading. Sanwanani Dumelang Apsheni and welcome to Youth Tell All, the homegrown South African podcast sharing stories of young people taking action to create a more sustainable, inclusive and equitable future for all. We're your hosts, Bonolo Mwigangani. And I'm with my host with the most, Zahir Suleiman. And today we have such an inspiring story for you. Joining us in studio in Johannesburg, all the way from Cape Town, we have Laika Martin, a 22-year-old that is going to share with us her voice. Thank you so much, Laika, for being here. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Sure, I'm welcome, super excited welcome, now, welcome. Laika. You know, we, we started this off with high energy, but I think we need to we need to tone it down a little bit. I have a very important question for you. Okay. If you could be a pasta shape, what pasta shape would you be? Ooh. So I'm not necessarily well versed in the names of pastas, <laughs> but you can describe the shape. Describe <laughs> whatever the shape. pasta is around, that's me. Like I, so if you have the name of a round pasta, that is me. Do you, do you? Why? Give us, give us. You know, because it needs to replicate my actual self. Like I am a round donut, so therefore <laughs> my pasta <laughs> should be round. <laughs> It's only fitting. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking, I'm going to be a ravioli. And I was telling Bonolo this because I'm like, you know, I feel like it's the insides. And it gets better as you... <laughs> I you mean, know? I mean, I like, mean... I'm just I a bundle of joy. So, sure? so as, as you bite into me... Oh, gosh. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> no, but let's jump straight into Laika's story. So today I know you have an incredible story for us. Just about finding one's voice or finding the voice within ourselves. Um, Laika, jump right into it and tell us all about it. Thank you so much, everyone. And again, thank you so much for having me here. So I can count on my hand the number of times public speaking has made me nervous. I remember the way the sea of parents and students made me feel incredibly small. I'm like, I'm like as soon as I presented a welcome speech at my grade seven prize giving ceremony. I recall frantically pacing back and forth, finding any winning participant to practice my speech on before my name was called to present an honorary speech Mm -hmm. at the grade 12 valedictory when I was still in grade 11 and hopelessly naive. (laughs) Um, So fast forward to years later, I found myself standing behind a podium with a large camera, I'm like, you know, sit in front of me. And I can safely say that I was not nervous. So despite the enormity of the moment, the mm-hmm. grand scale of it all, my hands were perfectly still and I was not nervous. As I received the cue to start speaking, I read the opening lines um, of my prepared speech. And I mean, if someone heard that, I'm like, I'm sure that they would say she does not seem nervous. But then I started stumbling and I started repeating consonants and I'm sure my mouth was open for a second too long. And to anyone watching, they may have thought, oh, maybe she is nervous. 
However, unless you know me and unless you knew what was happening, you could not necessarily be too sure. So if we backtrack to, you know, when I was small, I was a very talkative toddler, exceptionally curious about (laughs) everything, always carrying a story or two to share. And I mean, it was quite natural. That was just me. Mm. But around the age of three or four, my mom started to notice that I wasn't speaking fluently. And she took me to see a speech therapist. And it was here that I was confirmed to have a stutter, a generational trait that you know, I seem to have inherited along the way. But it didn't seem to phase me in any way. And I continued being a vibrant, engaging child, you know, mm-hmm. ready to break out into dance on command and always sure. having a smile on whenever the camera was facing me. But I guess that the self-consciousness and the self-doubt came about mm-hmm. as soon as I started socializing with others in primary school. I mean, I vividly remember the shame that came with, you know, sitting in front of classmates only to be met with giggles or mocking smiles. But while somewhat of a burden, I guess you can say that my stutter did not stop me from excelling as a teenager. I'm like both from an academic point of view and from, I'm like, you know, within the realm of public Mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. And I never shied away from speaking. So even with this physical hindrance to my speech, I never felt like I could not share my thoughts Mm -hmm. and I never truly felt voiceless. I mean... I knew that deep down, if I had something to say, I could skip past these landmines in my mouth to say them. So as an academic achiever in school, I think I'm not the only one when I say that university was this metaphorical gold at the end of the rainbow. But to say that I was inadequately prepared for the mental and emotional toll that came with the high school to university transition would be an enormous understatement. I mean, everything became unsettling and foreign. I mean, including myself, as I observed the glaringly obvious class and culture differences while traveling to and from university by bus. So from standing at the bus stop, staring at the aunties smoking cigarettes in the dark hours of the morning, to hearing music being blared very loudly by this one man's Bluetooth speaker throughout entire rides, (laughs) I saw how people who looked like me and spoke like me, trudged along each day as the scenery outside the window Mm. changed from corrugated shacks and, you know, congestion to tall buildings and greenery and back again. And it's this particular image that stays with you as you try to assimilate to students with cultures that are extremely different to you and whose households within higher, you know, tax brackets than yours, you know. Um, And now beyond just the culture and the class shock, I would say that, you know, um, the defeating weight of being the weakest learner in the classroom was something that I carried with me through every class. So, you know, um, like if I had a failed test year or a low assignment mark there, I could internally feel how my choice in study was one that I was not necessarily suited for. I mean, even though I improved after the halfway mark Mm. um, of my degree, my self-esteem, my motivation, my sense of purpose had already been knocked down several, you know, pegs. Mm. And as someone with a speech impediment, I know what I'm like, you know, how it feels like to physically lose the ability to use my voice. But it was in those moments that I finally knew what it felt like to not believe in the words that I was saying. So I just stopped talking. 
I stopped vocalizing my thoughts um, and any confidence that I had in myself and what I had to say vanished because it would most probably be wrong and result in some sort of failure or like, you know, so I thought. Um, so I lost more than just my voice. I lost my sense of being. Sure. So, I mean, you know, up until this particular point, um, I had been a mere passenger in my life. So I would sit beside windows and aimlessly watch time and space go by. However, I felt something change in my third year. So I took a course in global change. Um, and while learning about environmental phenomena like climate change and, you know, connecting them to the social and systemic structures, it seemed to awaken some long lost desire in me to do and be more, you know. Um, and I remember last feeling this way back in high school. Um, so I took part in a research competition that was facilitated by the youth programs um, at the South African Institute of International Affairs, or Youth at Sire. And it centered around environmental sustainability. Um, and as if on cue, I received an email in early 2020 about an upcoming Youth at Sire Young Leaders Training Conference. And I mean, I knew that this could possibly be the kickstart or like, you know, it could kickstart the change that I so desperately needed at that point. Um, so I quickly filled in, I'm like, you know, the application and I sent it out and I hoped for the best. Um, so a few weeks later, I was checking my emails and I saw that I had, you know, gotten accepted mm -hmm. to the conference. Wow. But I had to submit documents that very same day or else I would have to forfeit my spot. So obviously seeing that is like, oh gosh, yeah, do I have scared. enough time? <laughs> exactly. So then I was like, okay, so I jolted into action and like I made my way across campus to the computer lab to gather all of my documents. Um, and I was phoning my mom to ask her to urgently send through the medical insurance information. <laughs> you know, like a university assignment. <laughs> no, for real. I had to like ask her, like, please send through. And then she was like, for well, what is it? And then I was like, it's for this, but we don't have time for this. <laughs> Just send it through. <laughs> so, I mean, luckily I'm like, you know, I was able to send it through in time um, and everything and I mean fast forward to the actual plane flight like while I was seated on that plane flight from Joburg or to Joburg from Cape Town um, I could sense it this almost tangible order around me I knew that something was happening that I was reclaiming my space my essence and my voice and that all of this was on the horizon so now in my mind heading into these spaces, I had a certain perception. So in my mind, I was like, this youth climate advocacy um, space is synonymous with being bold and most importantly, vocal. Sure. Um, and, you know, this particular perception that I held was informed by the figures that I associated with this space. So the likes of, you know, Vanessa Nakete and, you know, Greta Thunberg and all of these various South African activists whom I didn't know personally at that point, I saw them from afar. Um, but I would now soon get to know them. Mm. Um, and, you know, always the most composed person in the room. Like they always spoke with such conviction and articulation and hardly stumbling over the words that they spoke. Um, and as my confidence grew by putting myself out there, I still doubted my ability to, you know, um, verbally carry myself in an environment that seemed to 
praise verbal poise, you know. Um, so shortly after the Young Leaders Training Conference, I joined the Youth Policy Committee. Um, it's a network convened under Youth at Sire that is filled with young people across South Africa, you know, engaging um, and, you know, trying to focus on participating within local, national and international policy making processes. Mm-hmm. So over time, I became a regular participant um, in climate change related work within this particular network. Um, And I showed up for events and policy processes despite my lack in both knowledge and experience. So when the process to create the South Africa's or, you know, South Africa's first ever youth climate action plan started in 2021, I knew I would participate even if I was the most inexperienced person in the room. So it turns out I would be more than just a participant um, as I applied and I was accepted as both a national project and a policy declaration lead, which was a massive leadership position within this process that was responsible for the coordination and the oversight of this entire action plan. Um, and in the beginning, I will not lie, I was quite overwhelmed. I, mean, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, I was at that point still learning about the climate policy mm. space. Um, at that point, I had just only started being actively involved for a few months within the network. Um, and I was almost always the quietest person in group meetings and events like... I mean, you hardly heard me, but like if prompted, I would speak, but I wasn't going to actively be like unmute and speak. Um, But by placing myself in those uncomfortable positions, I realized I had less time to think and I had to just do. Mm -hmm. So even if I was uncertain, I would have to speak. Even if I started through points, I would have to speak. And even if I could not articulate myself, you know, clearly as others, I would have to speak. I had no choice but to rely on my voice. Um, And I mean, even though this voice was impaired by speech impediment, it was just as valuable as anyone else's, you know? Um, So if we now go back to the beginning of the story, and I mean, um, we started at the podium over there, but now, so after I stepped away from the podium, which is actually the podium at the South African Youth Climate Action Plan launch. Sure, um, y- you know, you know, so having powered um, through a subtlefold speech, mm. you know, um, I was slightly frazzled, but I was calm. And I mean, I'd become so comfortable using my imperfect voice, you know, that something which may have brought me to tears years ago was something that hardly fazed me now. Um, I mean, being within the advocacy space has taught me to strongly place value on what I was saying and not how I was saying it. Sure. Um, so my stutter has also, you know, informed my leadership development and style. Um, I'm like all within this particular space of advocacy um, as one led by compassion, understanding and openness. And. In addition to all of this, I also found my niche within the Mm. advocacy space, um, specifically within the space of advocacy training and capacity building, because these elements serve to uplift, which is something that I desperately needed throughout major parts of my life. And I mean, I still in some way still need that. So I'm glad to I'm like, you know, at least I've found that particular element within this space. Um, And I mean, reflecting on the journey Um, has made me understand just how big of a role advocacy has played in my self-awareness as a young adult. You know, so I now know that my voice has meaning, that 
it has value beyond measure. Even, you know, if I'm stuttering and as a stutterer, this is something that I struggled with or something that I struggled to come to terms with for a very long time. Um, and, you know, as as someone who, who stutters, this is something that you always have in the back of your mind. And I'm glad to have found it at this point in my life, you know, so I can start to build on it as I mm. grow through different phases and different seasons. Um as an advocate, as a professional, and just as Laika, you know. And I think if I could leave people with a tiny um, speak of advice, I guess that I would say that learn how to sit with discomfort, but do not be satisfied with its company. Sure. Wow. Come on. Like I, I pin that. Good. It, it, That's good. It's <laughs> off the dome. It's off the dome, I'm telling you. Um, but I mean, this is something that. I felt the best described my entire journey within advocacy. And I feel like the, I'm like, it's something that I will now carry with me wherever mm-hmm. I go. So yeah, that is my story. I think what really inspires me about your story is just the paired forward element of what you're doing, right? Is mm-hmm. Because it's uplifted and empowered you, how you've channeled a lot of that into mm. working capacity building spaces and really paying that forward. You know, you mentioned a lot of compassion, doing a lot of the work that you do mm. with compassion, which I think is so important in a space that seems very cutthroat, right? It's like, who can, who can raise the best point? Who can Definitely. do this, right? But I think having a lot of compassion, I think being focused more on what we're doing than mm. how we're doing it, mm. right? Like how we're saying whatever or like raising the point or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. No, definitely. No, I think what, what resonates with me the most is also <clears throat> when I first got to know you, mm-hmm. I knew you as the speaker. I knew you <laughs> sure. as the one that yeah. spoke always in the rooms that like was driving the entire SAYCAP yeah. process. So for, for us and for listeners to be able to resonate with your journey and how you actually overcame everything that you did and you found your voice, I think mm. that's, that's wonderful. Mm. Thank you for such a beautiful story. Thank you so much, guys. I feel like... <laughs> I learned a lot even throughout this process of trying to figure out the story and I hope that it can leave people with a feeling of you have value despite whatever you come to the table sure, with. Sure, yeah. sure, and I think sure. now we just want to have a little bit of a Q&A. You know, we just want to pick your brain a little bit um, for hopefully some more profound answers that you can give us. <laughs> I hope um, so. And I, and taking on that note of profound answers, you, you really ended off with such a great line about sitting with discomfort, but then moving on mm. and, and, and finding the way forward. I'm wondering if you can expand on that a little bit. You know, everybody faces different challenges. Everybody goes through their mm. own their own thing, whether it can be physical impediments or mental impediments. So why do you think it's so important for us to come to terms with what our situation is like and then move forward from there. I know you did touch on it a little mm, bit, mm. but if you can expand on that, what would you say? No, definitely. Thanks so much for that question. Um, I think that particular question or that sentiment for me was, so if you come to, to any particular situation with a handicap of some sort, um, I think that it's so easy to focus entirely on the various factors that make you feel uncomfortable or that bring discomfort to you. Um, And I think that was how I felt a lot of the time is that oftentimes I fixated on those things. I mean, if I think about, I'm like, as soon as I was, 
I don't know, probably grade one, grade two, um, all of those moments when people would either laugh whenever I would stand up for myself, but I would stumble through all of the things that I'm saying. Like I would sit within that discomfort the whole time and not think about ways to constructively build on from that, sure. to build myself mm-hmm. back. And I think that in that way, um, if anyone coming to the table um, has anything that they feel could hold them back, I think that it's important to understand why things are making you feel uncomfortable and what capacity you have to make yourself get out of a particular situation. I think it's extremely important to understand what capacity you have because people will always say, oh, you have to, you know, build yourself back up, you know, try and find the confidence. And I'm thinking... Where are you going to find mm. the confidence when it's you like it's that easy. exactly? It's not that easy. So I think in terms of that particular statement, it's so important to understand what is making you feel uncomfortable, understand what capacity you have to build back stronger, and then to take those steps slowly because those feelings of discomfort aren't necessarily something that you should stay with. They're supposed mm. to just teach you something. Sure. But then that learning process should allow you to move forward to grow from that particular mm. thing. So I think that's what I would want anyone coming to to the table with any sort of, of mm. hindrance um, to really take away is to understand those things and to pull back. Sure, sure, sure. No, listen, you gave us nothing but bars, right? And in between you spoke about capacity, <laughs> realizing the capacity that we have, right? And how in your story you shared how that, that capacity was realizing that, hey, this is, this is something that I'm quite interested in here. Let me mm-hmm. put myself out for an opportunity, which was um, the Young Leaders Conference, right? Mm-hmm. And after putting yourself out, that was like the dawn of this new Laika that we now, that we now get to experience, right? What would you say is so important about opportunities and experiences like that that allow young people to tap into the capacity that they have in themselves? Oh, that is brilliant. That's a brilliant question. I think that that with regards to to these various opportunities, um, first and foremost, they allow you to find your people. Sure. They allow you to build community. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when um, you are in those slumps, you need community. Yeah. You need people to understand your voice, both in a literal and a figurative sense. Sure. Um, and I think that opportunities like this, like the ones that I have taken upon, be it the YLC, so the Youth Leaders Conference, be it the, I'm like, you know, the South African Youth Climate Action Plan, all of these opportunities have allowed me to find people, build community, and through that process, find myself. And I think that that is something that I would want and hope that young people everywhere understand that any opportunity is an opportunity to build community. So go for it. Even if you feel like you're the the least skilled person in the room, just go for it because you're probably going to find your people. And if not, you'll find your people through other opportunities too. (laughs) I think after this... After this, so many people are going to be able to literally quote you on so many profound listen, statements. Listen, listen. <laughs> that is the goal. That has always been the goal. So I hope that, like, you know, someone's Instagram <laughs> caption is a my statement or something. It's, it's definitely giving it LM 2022. Like, oh. you know how you, do, you insert um, in-text references? Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. I love that. I need all my humanity students to come through <laughs> to come and take my statements and put it in your papers, please. 100%. <laughs> I think one thing I want to touch on 
and you spoke about it a little bit and, and even Bonolo did, is that we all know the activism space can be a place where people who are bold and vocal thrive. Mm. That's what activism gen- generally is. It's, it's, it's a place for people to raise their voices mm. on uh, issues that, that concern them. And you spoke about your journey to overcome that. But I do want to ask, do you feel the activism space is still like that? And do you feel that there are accommodations that can be made in, in the sense where people can be in and around the space in its entirety, whether they're a, mm. a vocal speaker, whether they're not a vocal speaker. Mm. So what would you say to attest to that? I think that to answer your question, it is yes and no. Yes, it is still like that, but no, it is not like that. And like the reason why I say that is because advocacy is not a one-size-fits-all model. Mm. Sure. So it is a spectrum. And I think my perception when I came into the space of advocacy, I saw the one side of that spectrum, which are the people that lead certain causes from a vocal point of view. Mm -hmm. They are the front runners. They are the people who can say the things and they can talk the talk because they know how to do it and they feel comfortable to do it. But that is only one part of the spectrum of advocacy. Mm -hmm. There is so much more. And I think that what I learned throughout my particular journey is the various facets of advocacy. Mm. There are the people in the back that are busy writing statements. There are people in the back that are, you know, community leaders. There are people who are more versed or like, you know, well-versed within the artistic element of advocacy. You have certain people who, you know, all of these various roles that are within advocacy that I think that, Anyone who has the same perception that I did when I came in who thinks that it is a space that only allows those who are bold and vocal to thrive, they um, need to, you know, just tap on my shoulder, ask me to tell them, and I will be like, it is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Advocacy is, is a, a free-flowing, fluid spectrum of, of people who come in as they are and find spaces that best fit them. Not necessarily finding any other spaces. (laughs) So I think if you are a bit reserved, if you don't feel like you are the person who can be, you know, not necessarily, you know, be like this, but like in front of the mic like we are, understand that there are various roles within advocacy. And if you are someone who is a writer, if you are someone who has more of an understanding of the human connection and you connect more with people, not necessarily in the front, etc., there are roles within advocacy for you, but those roles are molded by you. So I think that that is also something that I would have to to leave off with is that. Sure, that's so profound. I think just as a final closing question, right? Mm. Just tapping even into what you've just mentioned now, just how you've really redefined what activism or advocacy and activism essentially looks like, right? Mm. Is that we kind of have, it's the pickets and protests, right? Mm. The people at the front line, right? Mm. And how you've really remodeled how people should look at advocacy and really even just looking at your own personal journey, right? Mm. How you've defined that for yourself, right? And how you've come into yourself even throughout this process. I just want to find out like where's this journey going what are you doing what's next for laika in this advocacy journey what are you up to um where can we find you if you know people want to get involved people mm-hmm. want to get in touch with some of the climate work that you're doing tell us all about it and maybe start off with a recent trip that you took <laughs> i think that would be a great addition to the story yeah so i think for for me personally um i'm going to touch on the bit of where to from here mm-hmm. 
at this point in time, what I'm currently doing is one of many things. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a good thing and a bad thing because then it comes to multitasking. But sure. um, from a climate change point of view, I'm still very actively involved within the Youth Policy Committee. At this particular point in time, we are busy working with a lot of local as well as international policy windows at the moment. So I'm currently working within the Western Cape for a certain policy window that focuses on the province's climate change strategy and the implementation plan for it. Um, and then from an international point of view, there is a massive policy window, which is COP27, which is around the corner. So um, I'm working hand in hand with all of the YPC members that are actively involved in that to really structure our, our position and to activate the minds of everyone engaging with our content with regards to COP27. So trying to find engaging content um, and to try and create engaging content for people to really engage within this particular space of, of COP27. And then beyond climate change, I am also really... So as I made mention, my niche is specifically within you know advocacy training and capacity building, mainly because... That is where I can build on back end or like, you know, work on things in the background to help uplift others. Yeah. So I do that within my capacity with Africa Matters Initiative. So I am a part of the ambassadors program. So I'm a project lead for that. Um, and wow. I coordinate that particular sure. space. Look at you. Of, see you. You know, we're just growing, guys. <laughs> um, she said that so casually. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, yeah, so I'm busy working on that front to really build the capacity of young Africans across the continent to really be the change makers that they want to see on the ground. So that is the crux of our content within that space. So, you know, there's that. And also, so I just recently came back from, from a trip um, to... The U.S. of A. So I'm actually wearing the Howard University sweater. <laughs> so it was. So it was in partnership with Howard University, and I went over to Washington D.C., where myself and actually a fellow storyteller on this particular season, um, King Solomon Gamede, we um, made our way there, and we really engaged with Howard University. The extending branches of networks and really understanding how to build up sustainable projects. So I think that particular experience is informing my work within project management and specifically within the sustainability development sector that I find overlaps with my work with the YPC and Africa Matters as well. Sure. So yeah, if anyone wants to find me, however, so I feel like first and foremost, please get involved with those networks because that's the main place that you're going to yeah. find me. Yeah, so, yeah honestly, don't mess with She's not no. going to respond. <laughs> So, so the thing is, is that so on social media, I'm quite like on the lowdown, but you can definitely get me on LinkedIn. Um, so please do connect with me over there. And I think the best place to get in contact with me is um, probably to get involved with these various spaces that I'm in. Sure. So all of the spaces, I'm like, I'm like, you know, the Youth Policy Committee, all of the networks within, I'm like, you know, Youth at Sire and anything within Africa Matters Initiative. Please do find me there as well. Please engage. Please interact. I think I would really love to meet more people that may be like me and hopefully share my story with them to help all these stories as well. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. That's all the time that we have for today, folks, unfortunately. But thank you so much, Leica, for being here. Thank you for sharing your, your story. I, we, we appreciate it. It was so profound and so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys.
We're, we're your co-hosts, Ravioli and Linguini. I mean, Zahir Suleiman <laughs> with my co-host with the most. <laughs> and join us next time to hear more stories of young people taking action to create a more sustainable, inclusive and equitable future for all. The Youth Tell All podcast is a production from Youth at Zaya, the youth programs at the South African Institute for International Affairs. Youth at Zaya is focused on giving a voice to young Africans to tackle the major issues that confront them while building capacity to engage with policymakers at national, regional and international levels. Youth at Zaya empowers youth with the skills to become continental leaders with a commitment to co-creation, collaboration, inclusivity, decolonization, social justice and intersectionality. Our broader thematic areas cover climate change, gender, education, employment, and sustainable and regenerative futures. This series has been made possible with the financial support of the Embassy of Finland in Pretoria. This episode was produced by Kiara Worth and Desiree Kashulik in collaboration with Solid Gold Podcast Studios. The Youth at Saya leadership team includes Desiree Kashulik, Titebojo Lebia, Lucille Naidu, and Itumaleng Impure. Story development has been done by Kiara Worth. If you have a story to share or want to learn more about our podcast, our programs, or how to get involved in youth activism, head to our website at saya.org.za slash youth. That's S-A-I-I-A dot org dot Z-A forward slash youth. Youth at Saya is across social media sites too. So find us wherever you are. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember... Youth are leading. leading.